Thank you so much, Natalie. Good morning again, everybody. Natalie, you gave me just enough time to get changed and back up here, so appreciate that. So a while back, Kendra and I were laying in bed, going to sleep, and we got in a fight. Mm. Well, I, I guess I'll call it a pre-fight because, you know, she was, she was processing and sharing some of her day, and uh, as she was processing, I felt like there was an important point that I wanted to make for her benefit, right? So I made that point, and she kind of mildly acknowledged it and moved on, continuing to share about her day and processing. And I didn't feel like she had really received the point that I was trying to make, so I returned to that point one more time, and then she did mildly dismiss and disagree with that point and continued on sharing and processing every day. And I thought, boy, this is such an important point for her to benefit. I'm going to try it one more time. And we were right at the line of pre-fighting to full-on fight, right? And then we threw a few sharp words back and forth. And then to Kendra's credit, she said, let's stop talking before I say something I really regret. So uh, we went to sleep, and, and, you know, I got up the next day, and I prayed about the interaction, and mostly I encouraged the Lord that he would encourage her to recognize my good point <laughs> and apologize. You can pray any way you want, right? Is that? Yes. And we had full days, and, and so we really didn't get to talk that much I don't think that she really wanted to. And then anyways, the next day, again, I prayed again because she hadn't apologized that following day. But my first mistake was instead of primarily dictating to the Lord, I did a little bit of listening prayer. And the thing that I heard was, Eric, you weren't very loving. And I said, yes, Lord, however... It was a really important point that I was trying to make. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And in the interaction, the, the Lord didn't seem really moved by my reasoning. And then, in fact, I felt like she was not the one he was encouraging to apologize. I was. And I share this very unfortunate story for a primary reason, is because only by the grace and mercy of God, despite my, my fumbling and my bumbling, despite my thinking along these lines, he, he led me and, and discipled me into a principle that we are going to look at this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Would you, if you have brought your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, and many of you may know, we'll have it on the screens for those of you who don't uh, have your scriptures 
Um, many of you know at least the center of 1 Corinthians 13. If you've been to a wedding in the last 20 years, there's a good chance that these passages on love were read, right? And, and some would argue that these are the most beautiful words related to what is true love that Paul is inviting us to this true love. However, the context of these words were not a wedding. They were not even a marriage relationship. However, I would argue that you can apply these words to just about any aspect of love, to marriages, to work, to how you raise your kids, every aspect. But the primary context of these words of first First uh, 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 Corinthians chapter 13 is spiritual gifts and using spiritual gifts. What we have been talking about, what, what we've been processing that, and believing. Would you remember with me a little bit of where we've been in this series? It's been somewhat longer, but we've looked at three, the three primary passage, passages that have spiritual gifts. We, we've recognized that God... If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. You might not know them, right? But he has granted you for the purposes of building the kingdom of God here in the world. And so we've really encouraged you to, to not just be open to spiritual gifts, but eagerly desire. That's what Paul says. We, we've talked a little bit about being able to use those gifts in an inappropriate way. Unfortunately, we can. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 is related to that inappropriate use. We've also talked about ways to use those spiritual gifts. And I want to encourage you, right, even though this is the last Sunday of the series, that spiritual gifts is meant to be a part of your lives. They're meant to be a part of the community of faith. They're meant to be the gifts that you're using on a regular basis to join with God in his activity in the world. And so we thought we would save 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the climactic moment of the the final word of our series on spiritual gifts. So I'm going to read to you Chapter 13, read along. In fact, I'm going to start, I'm going to include the last verse of chapter 12 and the first verse of chapter 14 because I want you to notice how Paul brackets all of chapter 13. So the last verse of 12 is this. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, and yet, I will show you the most excellent way. I love that phrase, the most excellent way. Not an ordinary way, not the normal way, you know, just a slightly above average way. No, Paul says, if you want to know how to live it, if you want to know life, I will share the most excellent way. For those of you who are Mandalorian fans... This is the way. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have a faith that can move mountains, you can hear Paul, he's, he's talking about all these, these spiritual gifts that he's been mentioning and others, but do not have faith, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, generosity, and give over my body to hardship, sacrifice, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness or perfection comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the way, ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So just an absolutely gorgeous passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul, again, I want to, um, perhaps many times you've heard that little middle section of love and the reflection of love. And I thought, well, I could preach a sermon, you know, try my best at waxing eloquent about true love and what that is. And yet when you read the whole chapter, you realize there's, there's a fullness in this idea that, that Paul is inviting us into, yes, a life of love, but there's a, there's a depth and a breadth of what he's communicating. So what I decided to do is not wax eloquent on love. I thought we would swing for the fences, can we? And see if we can understand not just those few verses in the middle, but especially the whole chapter. Because Paul oftentimes re, um, speaks and wrote from a perspective that I would call a timeline of the kingdom that is part of his discipleship, that is wanting us to learn and understand and make decisions in light of this timeline of the kingdom of God. And so I want to share this timeline because I think it's so important that I try and share it on a regular basis. And especially the end of this passage, I think if you get the timeline, it's really going to open up 
the end of the passage. So you have a, a kingdom timeline, and I'm going to write a little bit on the board. I would encourage you to join with me if you want to fill out in the bulletin, even though it's a little small in the bulletin. You might need an extra sheet of paper if you have one. But first of all, the, the kingdom timeline was slightly different when Jesus breaks onto the scene. There was an expectation of the fullness of the kingdom of God. In fact, the first century Jewish people, they, they realized that they were struggling, that they were, they were in bondage, that things were not as they should be in this world. And so they were waiting for a Messiah. And they believed that they lived in the, their present age, the, the time of the Old Testament, Messiah would come. And then the age to come that God talks about, that the prophets talked about in the Old Testament, the age of the kingdom would be ushered in. Jesus comes announcing the presence of the kingdom. And yet to the timeline, he says yes, but not exactly. He changes the timeline on us. What he does is he takes the coming of the Messiah that would be the, the turn of the timeline and he expands it. He opens it up and he says, yes, the Messiah comes, but there's both a first coming, the incarnation, which we're about to celebrate, right? Advent season, Christmas, and there is another coming of the Messiah, the second coming, the parousia, right, where he returns. And so you'll notice that when you read scripture now, there's a phrase that's used called ages past. Past age, where this is where the world was. So for example, Ephesians 3.9. Cindy, do we have that? passage, Ephesians 3.9. Let's read that together. Paul says, although I was less than the least of all the Lord's people, the apostles, he's sharing humbly, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That's how he describes the gospel. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, the mystery was the gospel in Christ Jesus that was hidden. And now Paul, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, ages past, who created all things. Now, ages past, the Messiah has come and we've moved into a new age, what some would call the present age. Look at 1 Timothy 6.19. Can we go to that, Cindy, the 1 Timothy 6.19? It says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. He's talking about the rich, and he's inviting the rich to be generous, to lead generous lives, to give away their lives. And so he says, in this way, the, the material rich today will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life 
that is truly life. So you have a present age and yet a coming age. Let's look at Hebrews 6.5. Unfortunately, Hebrews 6.5 is talking about those who are turning from the faith. And they they, uh, have experienced so much in the faith. They say this. They say, who, um, uh, the author of Hebrews says, those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, which is probably salvation, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, talking about baptism and fruit and gifts, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the... So again, you have powers here. And we, when we experience healing or restoration or the supernatural aspects of God, we're experiencing the powers of the coming age that's not here yet in this present age. You with me? Jesus often talks about this dynamic numerous times. I love this passage. This is like a great passage, Mark 10, 29 through 31, because he's talking about the rewards to those who sacrifice in this life. He says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution. It would have been great if he left that little line out, but he includes that, right? And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last And the last will be first. He's talking about reward. He's talking about eternal life starting today. He's talking about God's blessing and abundance and favor. And what is he saying? Do we only experience that in the coming age? No. He says today, right now, in our present age, we experience the goodness of God. We experience the love and grace and the favor of God. And then when we transition to the coming age, we will receive even more. So remember the expectation was present age Messiah, coming age, new age of the kingdom. Now, Jesus says not exactly. He spreads that out. And where are we living? Some would argue right here, boy, 2020 seems like he is coming soon, right? This this expectation, but, but some would say that we live in the age of church. Some would say we live in the already but not yet, that the, the powers of the coming age are spilling into our today. Some are saying, Paul would say, listen, listen, the time is now. The time of salvation. The time of receiving God's grace as Melissa did. This is the moment in our history where someone gets to say, I believe in Jesus and receive eternal life right now. 
He's saying, don't miss the opportunity of this moment in this present age. Now, with that as a backdrop, let's return to 1 Corinthians 13. Look at the first several verses of 1 through 3, where he's talking about all the spiritual gifts that we can use and have. And he says, but if you do these things without love, you might as well not. In fact, per- perhaps the first thing that, that the Apostle Paul is wanting us to understand is that the way we do something is as important. Some could argue it's more important than the what we do. If you do something even good, like spiritual gifts, like prophecy, like be live generously, but if you don't do it in love, why bother? Why bother? God even says that about worshiping him. He says, you know, it's not about going through the motions. Right? It's not getting your backside in the seat on a Sunday morning. He says, you know, I'm after your heart. Look at, um, listen to Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me and their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. He said they're missing it. They're missing it. Now, why would Paul say that? I believe that Paul is saying that because he knows deeply who God is at his core. Who is God? What's the one characteristic that scripture would say at the very center of who God is. He is, in the ages past, was he a God of love? Some would argue no, if you read some of the hard passages of the Old Testament. But yes, if you read deeply the Old Testament, you see the love of God, China. In this present age, is God a God of love? Absolutely, we just saw it. He poured his love out to Melissa. He invited her, and she received his love. Will he be a God of love in the coming age? Nope, not at all. He transitions, his character changes. No! Paul is saying, don't miss it. This is, this is your heavenly father. He has been and will always be a God of love. So if you're doing anything that is inconsistent with his character, don't bother. Don't bother. Here is the unfortunate truth. The unfortunate truth is this, is that we can do just about anything, no matter how good, we can do it in an unloving way and it will dishonor God. I'm going to use them as an example because I have every confidence that Lisa 
and at Kelt Simone, we heard from them yesterday and their beautiful ministry to Ethiopia, right? I, for those of you who are there, it was just this beautiful ministry that they're having, right? It's kind of a bummer to think that they could do that whole ministry with bitterness, right? With a lack of love, you know, in a, such a way that they dishonor God. I have every confidence that you guys don't, right? That there's, there's this beautiful expression of love. But again, now return to Paul's point. He's saying, well, you could have the sweetest gifts. <laughs> Be awesome. But if you're doing it selfishly or arrogantly or egotistically, which the Corinthians were doing, stop it. Stop it. God is a God of love. He wants us to understand this, and now he wants what I think I would call a practice or a test. And that's where we find this beautiful passage of Scripture about love, the test. He wants us to practice the test of true love. That anything that we do, you can read over those passages. Even in a disagreement or a pre-argument with your spouse, you can read those words and say, do I meet the standard of love of who God is? You can do that in your worst moments or your best moments, right? I'm going to read, I thought I would read, rather than the most eloquent translation, which is probably, in my opinion, New King James Version, I thought I would read the most practical, the most kind of uh, in-your-face, which is the message, all right? And as I read this, I want you to think about every aspect of your life. Let, let's, let's talk about some of the hard topics right now, politics, the way you speak about politics and the politicians. Would you use these words as a lens for your words and for your actions? Would you think about how you are responding to the pandemic and the shutdown and all the stuff we're bummed about like masks and not being able to participate in Thanksgiving with the families we normally would. Would you hear these words as a test of your words and actions? In all your relationships, this is how Eugene Peterson translates these beautiful passages. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sin of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pressure in the flowering of truth, pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, 
but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Can you imagine if we had those words on our mirrors or, or when we thought about and or, or if we processed a disagreement that we had when we processed something we posted on social media, when we were about to say something to that coworker that we're so upset and then we thought of those words. Paul is inviting us. He's saying God is a God of love. He always has been and he always will be. And if you want to look like your heavenly Father, if you want a family resemblance, choose love. Choose love. Now that final aspect I I just introduced, that you practice the test of love, and that final perspective is that we would make a choice again and again And again, God is saying, love, my love is eternal. So always choose love. Look at those final verses where he begins to talk again about the the gifts of prophecy, of tongues, of words of knowledge. And he contrasts two things. What he does is he's contrasting how temporary the gifts are and how eternal love is. So so much so that the the Apostle John would say this very plainly, 1 John 4.16, and so we know and rely on the, the, the love God has for us. God is love. Defining characteristic. God is Love, whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. We choose love again and again and again. I was listening to a leader share about her adult children, and they were making choices that she disagreed with. She was wrestling. She was saying, I I don't want to condone these unhealthy choices. But I don't want to lose relationship with them. I, I want to continue to engage with them. So she just said, so I'm loving them the best I can. I thought, that's right. That's that's Jesus. When in doubt, when you're un, uh, unsure, just love. Just not sure sometimes it's hard to know condoning, condemning, it's just love. Choose love. Now, I was reading, sometimes I like to read some pastors and theologians that understand things differently than I do. And this one pastor that I was reading, I won't name him, call him out, but he was talking about the spiritual gifts and he said they have ceased, right? He was a cessationist, and, and he said, for those of you who are continuationists, which I guess that's a title for me, right? the, the gifts have continued, he said, what do you do with the ceasing passage 
Yes. I had a congregational member after last Sunday say, I was raised that they cease. And my immediate thought was, well, that's easy. I understand the timeline of the kingdom of God. There's going to be a day, right, when do we need the gift of healing in our present age? You betcha. Absolutely. Will we need it in the coming age? No, because all is already healed, right? We, we desperately need the gift of evangelism in the present age. Will we need it in the coming age? No, we won't. Everybody's with Jesus, right? He's there, right? Will we, do we need the knowledge of God, the prophecy, a word of the Lord for us today? Desperately, we need that today. Will we need it in the coming age? Absolutely not. Indeed, all of these gifts will cease. But Paul said, when the perfect comes, when the completeness comes. Again, look at verse 9 er, and 10 with me. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes. The question is, is what is Paul talking about? Teleos is the word there, the Greek word. Now jump to verse 12. This is the kicker for me. He says, now we look in a mirror. Now, not mirrors like we have today. Mirrors back then were uh, oftentimes a, a, a polished bronze. So you saw a reflection of the image, right? But not nearly as good as the mirrors we see today. He says, we see the world in this poor reflection. We're experiencing the world in a limited way. But there is a day when that will all change. When completeness comes. And then look at verse, again, 12. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Whose face? That begs the question. When Jesus comes back. So Paul is saying, don't miss my point. God is a God of love. Forever past and forever future. In every age, in every moment in human history, God has been a God of love. And he invites you in everything you do. In the way you relate to your children, your spouse, your co-workers, your neighbors, your enemies. Reflect your Father in heaven and love. And he's saying there is a day these gifts are temporary. So don't be over-focused on the gifts because there's a day when they will pass away. But you know what will still be around? The love of God. Don't miss that which is eternal and be focused on the temporary. And yet finally, I want to bracket it with the first verse 
of 1 Corinthians 14.1. Let me read the last verse of verse 12, just to, or chapter 12, just to remind you. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now he just slightly adds to the first verse of chapter 4. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire. There it is again. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, because that builds up the church, not just the individual. He's saying, listen, God, do this in love, but our world desperately needs all the gifts. God is actively giving his body gifts so that we would experience, we would live those gifts, we would give those gifts back to him. And someday, Jesus returns, and we see him face to face, and we enter fully and completely, not only the kingdom of God, but the presence of his love. Amen? All right, we thought it would be neat if we want to invite you to, to pull out in your bulletin. I lost my little card. Little card if the worship team would want to come forward. Can I snag a card from you, sweetie? And I did apologize to Kendra, just so you all know. I was obedient to the Lord, right? All right, so on that card, and for those of you at home, if you want to email right, this to us here at Springs Community Church, I would encourage you to email the answer to these two questions. Right? We have uh, two baskets up here, so we're going to do it both via email for those of you at home and baskets here. And here's the two questions. It says, the gift I commit to God to using for God's purposes and the gift I commit to seeking after, right? Remember, we talked about Paul's bracketing all his words by saying, don't just be open to the gifts of the Spirit. It's okay to eagerly desire. Do it in love, but eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So I want to encourage you, if you know your top gift or top two gifts. This is the time we wanted to, in a, in a time of worship, would you just place it in the basket as a physical symbol and response of giving your gift back to the Lord. He's given you this gift and he wants you to use it for the edification of the body, the encouragement and blessing of the body and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And then is there a gift, especially for those of you who've been in the series and have been listening, and boy, that's a neat gift. I, I would, I'd really like to grow in that gift. You can write that down and place it in the basket. And it's a way of placing it before the Lord. And if you're new, if this is your first time, you don't feel comfortable walking forward to put something in the basket, don't feel any pressure. It is okay, all right? But I want to encourage you, even if, it's your, even if this isn't your home church, you've been gifted, and you can give those gifts back 
to whatever community of faith you are a part of. Even those watching online, if you're a part of another community of faith, you can give this gift to the body of Christ, to the advancement of the kingdom around the world. So as you're ready, as we worship and sing in this final one, as you've written down, um, you can place those gifts in the baskets. If you feel comfortable, just hold out your hands to receive the benediction. Would you be mindful of this powerful truth that the creator of the universe, the one true living God, core to his character, central to who he is, is love. And it is available today. And all of life, he's inviting you, all of life, not just to respond to that love one time, but all of your life in every area, in every relationship, in every word would be a choice of love, would be responding to love, that your life would be a life that chooses love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God bless you, and we'll see you next week.